Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Dr. Carmel Harrington, who has been working in the world of sleep for nearly 20 years. A former lawyer and educator, she has a PhD in sleep medicine from Sydney University and consults with companies and educational institutions both here and overseas on sleep health. Carmel, thank you so much for coming and having a chat to me on Move Your Mind. Uh, This is actually our second chat, the first chat we had. We covered a lot of really interesting things that I hope come up again today, but unfortunately had a few technical errors. So um, I really appreciate you making the time to come and talk to me again. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, Nick, it's my pleasure. So thank you for having me on your series. Before we go into it, can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself? And it doesn't have to be you know, going into too much detail because I know you've done a lot, just more uh, overall background of sort of where you've come from and how you've got to doing, you know, what you do today in, in working, in educating people on sleep. Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it, how long life is. You don't realise when you're 18 how many twists and turns can uh, happen in your life and take you to a completely different place. Um, so I started life after school as a biochemist and then um, I went into law, <laughs> particularly uh, medical litigation. So that was really interesting for a while. And then I became very interested in sleep. And so I decided to wander off and do my PhD in sleep, especially paediatric sleep. And I became quite fascinated in this area. Uh, along the way, though, I started working with different companies and doing lecture tours with them. And I became very interested also in adult sleep. And as a result of that, I felt being more and more exposed to the general public, I realised what a limited access people had to understanding the processes of sleep. We really hadn't, the general public had really no idea about sleep. So I wrote two books, trying to bring the story of sleep to people and help them understand how they can triage their sleep to give themselves a better sleep. And as a consequence of that, I have moved into the education domain as well. So I continue to research sleep, but I'm also very keen on raising awareness and educating people on how what they need to do to give themselves a good night's sleep. Because I believed 20 years ago that sleep was fundamental to our good health, and I have only increased that viewpoint more and more as I've understood what sleep gives us and what it enables us to do. Yeah, massively. And it's something we're starting to hear more and more about in mental health now, like you're saying how sleep has such a huge impact on so many parts of our physical and mental well-being. And I find it fascinating that I guess we've always known that we need enough sleep, but there really hasn't been a lot of talk about the fundamentals of it, how we can approach it and, and, and the impacts that it has. And it seems to me like the same as in the mental health area, that there is simply just not enough mainstream uh, education available on sleep and how we can, you know, understand what are the practical things that we can do. Do you, do you feel like that is, a, is an issue and are there practical things we should be more educated on to be putting into our daily lives to collectively make a change in our well-being? Absolutely. I often think, and I talk about this, I think we're in that same, a similar era that we were 
way back in um, the mid-70s. So many of your audience won't remember this, but um, in the mid-70s, there was a general education campaign, a government-led education campaign advertising about uh, Norm Life Be In It campaign. And so Norm had to get off the couch and start exercising. And if we contextualise that into that era, in the early 60s, that's when everyone started to get the car. Before that, you used to run for the bus and walk to school and all that sort of stuff. But between early 60s, early 70s, that 10-year period, people lost incidental exercise. Now, we never understood how important exercise was until we lost it. And then, of course, we recognised the health impacts on, on people when they weren't exercising. And then if we move 10 years on to the mid-80s, there was another public health campaign. It was called NORM, the More of Less Diet, because... Ten years before that, and people don't remember this, there were supermarkets, there were no fast food outlets. So getting food and eating food was an effort in itself. So we didn't have access to food 24-7, which we do now. Um, and certainly by the mid-80s and early 90s, we were seeing the uh, health impacts of people having access to food 24-7, processed food, without, with very little effort to, uh, to get it. And so we had to educate people about food because beforehand we didn't need it because we had, we did, we had limited supply. So now it would be very unusual to meet a child even less than five, who didn't understand that exercise and good food were important. So they would know to take the apple instead of the chocolate. They may not always choose to do that, but they actually understand the principles behind it. So fast forward to today, we've actually lost sleep. Now, we didn't know sleep was important until we lost it. And when did we lose it? Probably about 10 years ago when the, the phone, our mobile devices became ubiquitous. We are on them 24-7. So we've lost the discipline around sleep. And all of a sudden we think, uh-oh, what have we lost? How do we get it back? But in the same way we had to be educated about exercise and food, we now have to be educated about sleep. And I know our, our peak body in sleep is actually lobbying the government to give a general um, health campaign around the importance of sleep, and especially so, as you mentioned, in mental health, because lots of people don't recognise that connection. And we now know, like, I mean, most people recognise that if you do have poor mental health, you probably have sleep issues. But for many, many years, it was thought that it was just a unidirectional relationship. Mental health issues cause sleep issues. But we now know that if you have sleep issues, you're actually up to five times more likely to develop a mental health issue. Right? So it's bi-directional, that relationship. And we start. We really need to start to help people get good sleep so they don't go on to develop a mental health issue. Mm. Which is a, you know, it's a, that's a massive, massive statistic. And yes. I presume that it's a vicious cycle as well where you could be predisposed to having a mental health issue that leads to lack of sleep from stress and being overwhelmed which then compounds and the problem becomes worse or you could actually be not predisposed to having mental health problems but because of lack of sleep you develop a mental health problem that becomes worse so it's sort of whatever way you look at it it is going to have an impact on our mental health absolutely and in fact, we often think that people have a predisposition um, to more poor mental health. Yes, that's true. But a lovely piece of research looked at people with no um, indication of poor mental health at the start of a study period of five years. And they, all they recorded was their sleeping pattern at that time. And over that period of time, as I said, they were much more likely, the people who had sleep issues were much more likely to develop a overt and obvious mental health problem and there was mm. no other indicator except for the everything else was um, accounted for in this research study so we know that it's not that you're I mean you may well be genetically predisposed we know that is the case but other times it is your environment which will um, increase your vulnerability to developing uh, mental health problems yeah and and then on top of that all, yeah, I guess, and this is part of the environment, the things that you were mentioning before, the just 24-7 mobile phone technologies. And, you know, I'll put my hand up here and, you know, I'm a mental health advocate and I am good with a lot of things. I exercise every day. I meditate. I have routines that I follow. Um, I do a lot of things that are good for me. But 
sleep's one of the things that I still have not completely got on top of. And the biggest thing for me is that I just find it so relaxing to be up at night time and I'll be lying in bed, you got your phone there, you you know, you're texting your friends, watching a film on Netflix and you know, I'll have these screens, um, I'll be looking at these screens right up until I go to bed. And on top of that, it means that my bedtime when I go to sleep is varied every night because it depends on what I'm doing. And I presume that's not good. That's right. So one of the things we, we forget about, this has even changed. So in our grandparents' day, there was no television in bed. We, we say, look, it's just such a, a gimme health uh, sleep behavior. The bedroom is for intimacy and sleep, and that's it. And so in our grandparents' day, that wasn't an issue. That's all it was used for, you know. But now we've got everything happening in our bedroom, and it's just so exciting a place to be. But we need to associate our bedroom with where we go to be nurtured and nourished and not to work, not to be stimulated, because that's that's meant to be our cave. And 50 years ago, that's what it was. But it's so totally changed now. And uh, and people are well aware that we are very conditionable um, animals, aren't we? You know, humans can condition themselves to anything. So what happens is when we start going to bed and watching TV or calling people or looking at the latest news or whatever we're doing on our devices, our brain starts to associate that environment with wakefulness. And so once your brain is associating something with wakefulness, it finds it very difficult to access the sleep pathways because sleep pathways and wakefulness pathways are luckily mutually exclusive. We don't want to be you know, asleep when we're meant to be awake and things like that. So um, we really, some one of the most basic things I, I work with people is to start demarcating territory in your house and in your living environment. Where do I sleep? Where am I entertained? And where do I eat? Even if you don't have a big apartment, just by having this is the table that I eat at, this is the the couch that I watch TV, and this is the bed I sleep in, and making sure they're sacred spaces, each of them. Mm. And we're chatting this before about this before we started recording. That is so important in right now in in the world where people are stuck working from home. If we don't separate areas. I mean, it's hard enough just not having the routine of leaving the house and, you know, going and doing your activities and coming back. Right now, so many people are being forced to work from home and it's critical that we have those routines where the bedroom is where we go to, like you're saying, to nurture ourselves, have a working area, have a relaxation area. Otherwise, it's overwhelming. It is. It is really a factor of what does our brain associate with what. And um, if we're not allowing our brain to recognize that, but our brain and body love routine, nothing better Mm. than routine. And that's one of the things people have lost in this lockdown time, because it doesn't matter that you're not up at six o'clock in the morning, getting ready to go to work and being at work at nine o'clock. You get ready according to when I, when's the next Zoom meeting? <laughs> when's the next um, you know, conference call on the phone? So you may not have a meeting till 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So often people start to sleep in. Now that's yeah. sleeping, that's beautiful. That's really lovely, but it does affect our ability to sleep that night. So people need to understand that process in itself, like the, the body clock. So the body clock works quite beautifully and it's very harmonious. As long as we know about it, we can work well with it. So the way it works is uh, melatonin is our master hormone, but it's also critical in the story of sleep. So when we, at night, when we expose ourselves to dim light or fading light or darkness, that information is fed from the eye to the back of the brain. So at, in the brain, there's a pineal gland, and it starts to produce melatonin. And about an hour, hour and a half after we start to produce melatonin, we're ready to go to, to sleep if we're in a position to do so. Then we sleep, and then when we wake up and expose ourselves to light, immediately our brain, it stops production of melatonin straight away. Now that's when our clock is set for the next 24 hours so at the point that you wake up and you might wake up say at seven o'clock in the morning as an adult you'll be ready to go back to sleep about 16 hours later so if you wake up at seven o'clock in the morning you'll be ready to go to sleep at 11 p.m that night provided you've exposed yourself to dim light that night and so when you turn the light out ready to go to sleep you might go to sleep really quickly because you're so tired but you'll wake up a couple of sleep cycles later, wide awake. 
Then, of course, you mm. have a, you know, not a great night's sleep. So you think, oh, I haven't got a meeting till 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to wake up till 9 o'clock. So then you wake up at 9 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, your body clock isn't ready to let you go to sleep till 1 o'clock in the morning. And so this terrible cycle starts to happen. And so people start to recognize their sleeping patterns gone really bad. And it's not long after that that they really start to struggle with their mental health because it's all over the mm. place. Yeah, so it's a, we're seeing that. Um, spiral probably more in this second lockdown that Victorians are experiencing mm. but as a consequence of what's happening in Victoria I think a lot of Australians are going oh gosh what's going to happen now and we're all becoming very cautious and that spiral into um, really struggling with our ability to be happy and joyous and engaged and motivated is really um, being impacted. Yeah, I think that that's so true. I think people going into another lockdown now, it's sort of taken away so much. Not that there was a lot of certainty before it, but it's really put them into this turmoil where I think routines are getting completely thrown out the window by a lot of people at the moment thinking, oh, well, what's the point of anything? You know, I'm just going to... And it's, and then exactly what you're talking about will start to happen where you, your mental health declines. Um, so and then it becomes just, yeah. a, a terrible, vicious circle. So... One of the things I'm really recommending for people right now is write things down. Give yourself a plan for the day because if you don't, even as simple as I get up at, you know, 7 o'clock or whatever time you want to get up, actually recognize that, then I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do some exercise or I'm going to jump on a conference call and have my breakfast. So keeping eating times fairly constant is also important because it's not just light that gives us the melatonin um, and a setting of a body routine. It's also when we eat. So that sets the body clock quite nicely as well. So some people mm. find that they're sleeping later and their first meal of the day is like lunchtime and the whole body starts to go all over the place. So try to keep that very regular. But making a plan for your day or, you know, maybe for the week, actually when you lose discipline and routine, you can look at the plan and think, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do now. You know, you don't have to think too much about it. Revert back to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I really like, I mean, I know that's going to help me, what you said before with the whenever you wake up, it's sort of roughly 16 hours until you should go back to bed. That sort of, I think knowing, having a bit of a structure around it and understanding that helps me because otherwise I, you know, like the examples you were saying before would sleep in occasionally sometimes up really early all these odd hours and it just you find it hard to to keep that routine so i guess on that topic um are there so, sort of some guidelines in the sense of i guess turning you know screens off whatever amount of time it is an hour or two beforehand things like alcohol that's probably not going to be good for us when we're trying to get a regular sleep routine and i'm sure alcohol is being probably used more by people than ever right now again with all this uncertainty in the world you know how much water should we we be drinking are there some sort of guidelines that we should be following here yes there certainly are so with um screens an hour beforehand an hour before is a minimum really um but if of course I mean, sometimes I'll say that that hour beforehand, people say, oh, does, it doesn't worry me at all. And, and fair enough, if it doesn't worry, it doesn't affect your sleep, that's okay. But good sleep behaviours are important to adopt for all time because we will always have a time in our life that's going to be a bit traumatic. There's something going to be going on, a relationship breakup, problems at work with the children or whatever, and at those times sleep becomes problematic. And if you've got the best sleep behaviours already, you're going to have minimize your risk of having sleep disruption so one hour before bedtime is really important and then of course people say oh no i've got the lovely um the blue filter (laughs) they love that blue filter and so you have to explain to them that that something else is going on with the screen so you're not necessarily just watching a light you're also quite engaged Okay, so when you're in, you're not doing it because you're not, you're disengaged. So not only you got your light, but you've highly motivated and engaged. So when you are highly motivated and engaged with what's going on, you've got these wonderful wakeful hormones going around, your adrenaline, your cortisol, it's making you feel great and and invigorated. But guess what? They're not great things to be having Mm. pumping around your body at nine o'clock at night. So you've got to recognize that it's not Mm. just the, the blue screen blue light it's also your interest and engagement with the device itself so switch off one hour beforehand now 
often people go, oh, one hour beforehand, what am I going to do one hour, you know, before I go to bed? Well, there's lots of things you can do. You can start to breathe, you know, start to relax, recognize that you're getting your body ready to be nurtured for the next eight hours. So get in that zone and you can have, it's really a good thing to get in the habit of having a warm to hot shower prior um, to going to bed because our body likes to fall asleep on a falling temperature. And our peak temperature for in a 24-hour period is around about 7 p.m. Of course, it varies a little bit depending on your what we call it, your chronotype. But around about 7 p.m. and from then on, your temperature starts to fall. And so by having a, a warm to hot shower at, say, 9 o'clock at night, you're enhancing that falling temperature. And so the body thinks, oh, it's time to go to sleep. A relaxation exercise, a breathing exercise, there's lots of guided yoga, meditations, things like that you can do in that one hour before bedtime that can be really beneficial to you. Of course, make sure you're sitting or in an area that the lights are dim, okay? No bright overhead lights, no big TV screens on. So start to get into that zone, it's really important. And as you said, alcohol is a sleep stealer, which is really unfortunate because sometimes people are using it, especially now, to let them relax, you know, to relax, relax yeah. at the end of the day. Um, and look, look, 100 mils of wine probably is not going to impact your sleep. The trouble is, though, people often have one glass and then they get into the second glass and they're having quite a nice time and they have a third glass and, and they're, not, they're not going out anywhere, so they think, what difference does it make? But, of course, it will impact your sleep and you won't be able to, you know, you'll fall asleep but wake up five hours later unable to get back to sleep. And, of course, mm. be, be aware of your caffeine use. That's really mm. important. And as we age, caffeine hangs around the body for much longer. So probably after 2 or 3 p.m., if you're over the age of 40, you shouldn't be really drinking coffee after that time. Nice herbal teas. Beware of green tea. That can be quite a stimulant, so you don't have that late at night either. And to your point of exercise, that's really important to good sleep. So Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really... And research after research shows that those people who exercise the most actually get the best sleep because body, I can't stress enough how harmonious the body is. And so mm. what we do when we sleep is repair and build our muscle and re restore our body. And so if we are exercising, feeds back very quickly to the brain, the brain understands, okay, I've got to give you more sleep tonight because I have to repair and restore your body. And so when you do exercise every day, you actually enable your body to get that lovely deep sleep in the same way if we want to get more dream sleep or our rapid eye movement sleep is the same thing if we start learning a language or a musical instrument or doing something completely new and the memories have to be when we bed down memories is at night we expose ourselves to the memory during the day in our wakeful hours but it's at night when we bed them down and so when we observe people who are learning an instrument or, or something quite mentally challenging, they upregulate the amount of dream sleep they get. They get more of it because that's when we're bedding down all these memories. So there are mm. things we can do to give ourselves a better quality sleep when we're in lockdown. Exercise, go walking, do jumping on the um, spot for you know five minutes or whatever you want to do, I don't mind, but do that. And also, if you've got spare time, maybe take up learning a musical instrument or a language. Any of those sorts of things will actually give you better quality sleep because our body recognises, especially our brain, recognises the need for these different types of sleep. Yeah, giving ourselves that stimulation, I guess, challenging our mind so then it, it's ready to sleep at night because if we're not really, we're not feeling like we're sinking our teeth into anything... I guess it can become this prolonged cycle where we're agitated in the daytime and then we're not tired enough to want to sleep at nighttime. I'm sure that's a, a big part of it. I guess um, the other part of what you were saying, what about uh, waking up? I know it's a really common thing in the morning to wake up. The first thing that we often do is check our phone now. And then automatically when you check your phone, you look at social media and you, then you, you're stuck in this, you know, it, it traps you in. I'm sure that's really bad as well. Um, Actually, yeah. I have no problem with you doing it at that time of the day because when you expose right. yourself to a bright light in the morning, that's the best thing you can do. However, what's really important is that you don't stay in bed on your device for half an hour or an hour. So again, by right. being on the device is fine, but hop out of bed, sit on the couch, whatever you want to do with that device at that time, 
because you're exposing yourself to that very bright light from the screen so that's really good but don't stay in bed because you again your bed your mind associates your brain associates the bed with doing stuff so the okay. idea is don't stay in bed and i mean that's we know from good mental health behaviours that you don't want to be prolonged in bed in the morning because that then becomes very habitual. You become conditioned to that and it can play havoc with your mental health and, and your preparedness to greet the day. So you've got to be careful about that. Mm. Okay, great. Well, and that's interesting to hear. And, and, you know, I find it fascinating what you're saying with the dim light as well on the, on the devices because I have heard, you know, so much about that and people downloading those you know, different lighting settings on their phones and saying, no, that's fine. I can, you know, keep looking at it. So that's really interesting to know that it's, and it makes sense what you said, you know, it's more, it doesn't really matter. You're still going to be stimulating yourself if you're watching and viewing material on your phone. Um, So with that, just as a final part on this part of sleep, what about like within the hour before you go to sleep, reading a book, is that too stimulating as well? Now, a book can be actually very good. I, I sort of think, let's go back to what our grandparents used to do. And they used to read a book, not a Kindle, but a book. Um, mm. And I know, again, people are very wedded to their Kindles um, and their devices when they're reading books. But I would recommend, and especially if you're having trouble with sleep, you just get rid of all those things. Go back to basics. Get a novel. Yeah. Don't start to read something that agitates you. <laughs> so maybe um, not. Don't uh, read read stuff about what's happening in COVID somewhere don't, and things. Don't like that. read the news. Don't yeah. read the newspaper. <laughs> Avoid that. I think. And again, on that point, I really would recommend people they choose once a day to look at the news. They need to be updated about what's going on in the world, um, especially in these COVID times. But once a day is enough. You don't want to overwhelm your brain with information about it because you're not going to change what's going on but you do need to be aware of what's going on um so just getting a a novel that you like that makes you feel quite good takes you in another space actually many studies have shown that those people who read a novel actually can fall into sleep much easier and they tend to have more dream because you've taken your brain away from the reality into a make-believe world of the novel and so your brain's ready to go to sleep. So, mm. um, yeah, that can be quite beneficial as well. But try to limit devices in that hour, uh, Kindle, phone, whatever. Yeah, That makes sense. And, and, yeah, I think it's critical what you said as well where, yes, we all need to stay informed, but limit how much we're taking in of news and media because it's never-ending and we're only going to agitate ourselves and hear the same message over and over again and, create unnecessary fear when we've already got enough to deal with so i think that's so so important that people follow that yes and maybe not after five o'clock at night so give yourself enough time after that time to just digest it and and get your cortisol levels down (laughs) wind down a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) mental health and well-being are real issues in the construction industry men in construction are twice as likely to take their own life compared to the ones who work in other industries and that's just not good enough With John Holland's help, we want to make a change. We've joined together to have honest conversations about mental health, life, and stories of people who have overcome challenges. When we hear about stories and struggles that sound a bit like ours, we can learn from each other and remember that we're not alone. I mean, we we live in a culture where people, you know, weekends, people drink. You know, it's a routine that a lot of people follow where the weekends they drink. If you did follow everything you're talking about, but then on the weekends you go through this, you know, you drink, your sleeping's off, is that going to in turn affect sort of the overall routine that you're trying to follow? Yes, absolutely. As Again, what is happening is you're changing the routine for your body and your brain. So uh, I know it's a well-worn pathway for um, Australians to, you know, have a few drinks on the Friday night and then if you are if you don't have children or you don't have any imperative to get up on Saturday morning, you might sleep in, okay? So mm-hmm. especially if you've had too much to drink and you have poor sleep during the night and then you, you go to sleep, you know, and you don't wake up till 11 a.m., say. And you often see this in young people. So it's fine, you wake up at 11 a.m., but what have you done? Okay, you've set your biological clock to going to sleep 16 hours later. So if you get out of bed at 11 o'clock in the morning, you're not quite ready to go to sleep till 3 o'clock 
the next morning. Okay. Now that's yeah. not a, yeah. that often isn't a problem because on Saturday night people are out partying again, especially young people if they don't have to get up to children or anything else. So then comes Sunday and they wake up. You know, they sleep in, 11 o'clock, have a very slow start, maybe don't have breakfast till 12, you know, midday. And then, of course, a lot of people are very conscientious when it comes to work and they think, oh, I'm going to go to sleep really early tonight because I want to be really on the ball for the week and I've had a really tough week last week. So they forget the fact they didn't wake up till 11 and their body clock's not ready to go back to sleep till 3. And so they go to bed, say, at 9 o'clock. They follow all the good sleep behaviours and then they toss and turn and toss and turn um, and get anxious about not getting off to sleep, thinking, oh, I've got a really big week this week and I wanted to be really well slept and I'm not getting to sleep. And so they finally fall into a fitful sleep about, you know, one or two o'clock in the morning, a lot of adrenaline and cortisol pumping through their body. And so they wake up feeling quite shattered on Monday morning. This is something we call social jet lag. <laughs> mm. And it's a really, really um, well-recognized phenomena in the sleep world. And people actually don't understand why it's happening to them. They think they're getting very poor sleep on Sunday night because they're anxious about work. That's not the reason at all. It's because they've changed their routine and set their biological clock at a completely different time on the weekend than is required for their weekday. And, of course, we're going to have good time partying or whatever you want to do. But always be aware of how much alcohol you're having because that will affect your sleep. Don't vary your wake-up time on the weekend by more than an hour. So if you regularly get up at 7 o'clock mm. in the morning, you don't get up any later than 8 a.m. Of course, everyone's going to go, oh, my gosh, how am I going to get through the day? So what you do is have on Saturday afternoon, you have a power nap. And a power nap for 20 minutes is fantastic in that lull that we have in the afternoon between about 3 and 5 o'clock. So have a 20-minute power nap, then you'll be ready to go for quite some time after that. It will refresh your body and not affect your ability to get to sleep that night, but limit it to 20 minutes. So we can use the power nap quite judiciously to get us through a couple of late nights on the weekend without actually affecting what time we wake up in the morning which is really critical if you want to have good sleep the night before you go back to work on Sunday night. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I've noticed in the past I've been, when I have been absolutely exhausted um, and on a weekend, often I have have ended up having a bit of a nap and, you know, you're lying around and, and you sort of don't feel fully recovered, but you, you sort of, it's much longer than, you know, the 20-minute power nap. And then by nighttime, I'm tired. By the time I go to bed, wide awake mm. and then you wait and you can't sleep and it's all it's pro i guess it's the exact process that you just explained before where you've completely thrown all these patterns out the window and your body wants rest but then it doesn't really know mm. what you you know it's out of whack with everything yeah and so just by knowing that what i think is important in all of this and is why i started educating and writing books and things like that is people need to know what are the effects of the decisions they're making? That's all. So you know now about what goes on. You might choose not to pay attention to it one weekend for one reason or another, but it's not going to beguile you anymore. You're going to say, well, that's why I'm not sleeping because I've done this, this and this. It isn't a mystery anymore. And so one of the things we need to do is have autonomy over our decisions. But autonomy means that we understand what we're doing as well. It's not just random decision-making. The same way as I'm sure you make good, yep. good decisions about your exercise. You know what you're doing and you make good decisions about your food. And you might, might choose not to follow them for a day or so or whatever you want to do, but at least you know whether it's a good decision or a bad decision and then you can make choices on top of that. Absolutely. I think, you know, the biggest thing out of this that I'm learning is we just need more mainstream education on sleep. That's the big thing. Um, and and eating, would should we be eating, is it about two hours before we go to bed? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, well, actually, two hours if you're young, but over the age of 40, really three hours between okay. uh, your, your last meal. There's nothing wrong with a small snack if you're sort of hungry. But your body is very busy digesting food. And, and really, we eat upside down. We should be having our largest meal of the day for breakfast, and then we have a smaller meal lunch and a very small meal for dinner. But we don't do that. So um, being aware that we have often our largest meal of the day in the evening, so make sure there's at least three hours between when you finish your meal 
and when you expect bedtime. Now, as I say, if you're younger, it's probably two hours because your metabolic rate is higher. But some people will recognize this sometimes if they go out to dinner and they have a really long meal and they finish quite late, they'll feel like they actually don't get to a deep sleep. They'll be sleeping, tossing and turning, and they'll think, oh, I had such an unconsolidated sleep. So what happens is your body's so busy digesting the food, you stay in light sleep. You don't go into your deep sleep. We don't get much good deep sleep or dream sleep. So you tend to stay in your light sleep so the body can continue to digest that food that you've, you know, the huge amount of food that you've given it. So just be aware of when you finish your meal. But as I say, there's nothing wrong with having a, a small snack. And especially as we age, a lot of people report needing to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. So one mm. of the things we need to do is to stay hydrated during the day. Okay, that's really important. Make sure you're having your water or your herbal teas or whatever you have to keep hydrated during the day, but don't have anything to drink within two hours of bedtime. That will minimise your... Um, vulnerability to having to get up during the night to go to the bathroom and disturb your sleep that way so for some of us once we get over the age of about 40 we need to stop having that cup of tea just before bedtime or ever and, and just recognize that that's going to disrupt your sleep if you do that yeah yeah, yeah really important so just more the hydrating ourselves regularly rather than trying to really cram it all in before we go to bed and 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 no more, which, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I'm stressed is um, <laughs> lie in bed at nighttime with movies and snacks and all that kind of thing. So no more of that. <laughs> yeah, try not I'll to. I'll do it yeah. during the day or, you know, not not directly before bed. No, that's, um, that's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and it brings me to another point. I mean, I, I'm a big follower of um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's, you know, big actor ex-pro wrestler you know hugely into his health and fitness yeah, and like, yeah. he's posting all these things I, I talked about it with you last time and he's always posting about um how he only sleeps for three or four hours a night and um and then i think we spoke last time as well um, donald trump sort of talks about how he barely sleeps and he's up tweeting in the middle of the night and you hear about these different people these public figures that are high achievers that talk about how they don't really get much sleep and how you know you got to some of them advocate for conditioning yourself to try and get by with less sleep so you can get more done. I know for myself that doesn't work. I, I shut down. I can't think clearly if I don't get at least six or seven hours. My brain's not functioning. I get way less done. So I tried to do it. It didn't work for me, but and I'm sure it does for some, doesn't for others. But, you know, what 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 do you have to say about that? And is that sort of could be a bit dangerous to try and uh, condition ourselves to not sleep enough? I think it's really sad that we have people advocating this and, and, and holding themselves out as that, you know, look at me, I'm not doing this. So the harsh reality is <laughs> that about 2% of the population are short sleepers. They've got a gene and it allows them to do everything they need to do in sleep in the five hours. They need five or six hours, whereas the other 98% of the population needs somewhere between seven to nine. That's the reality. Another 2% mm. of the population need more than nine. They've got the long sleep gene, so they've got the short straw. <laughs> so um, they actually need more time. So the big um, test is how do I feel when I wake up in the morning? How am I able to meet the joys and challenges of the day? And if I'm not able to be joyous or happy or I'm unmotivated or I'm finding thinking difficult or my, my good health is suffering, then chances are you're not getting enough sleep. However, if you're waking up after five hours and doing achieving what The Rock is doing, he might well be a short sleeper, but the vast majority of us are not. So just be aware that poor sleep really impacts our ability to have healthy, good relationships, to be able to communicate well with people, to be physically well, um, to be mentally well and engaged and motivated. So it affects all those really, really fundamental aspects of what makes me me. So mm -hmm. when I don't get enough sleep, I'm just like you, Nick, I think. I'm cranky. <laughs> I'm yeah. impatient. I don't think very well. And I change. I, I, I'm not happy. I'm not engaged. I'm not motivated. All of those things. And yet when I'm well slept, I think I am that person. I'm, you know, the highly motivated, happy, active person. And so I often say to people, sleep has the power to make me less of me, to change mm. the essence mm. of me. And so that's really a powerful thing, isn't it? 
Oh, it's a really powerful thing. It's you know, it shows how it's one of the most important things that we get right. Um, and I, I think it really feeds into this whole thing. And it's such a societal Western world thing about we need to get more done, be productive, do more, 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 and often trying to do more. There's only so much time we all have every day, and so much we can actually physically do. So often it's like it is that statement at the expense of sleep. Okay, sleep less, do more, stay up later, do all these things and overwhelm yourself. And I know, again, you know, I can only go from my own personal examples. But um, for me, when I've tried to do that, it's had an adverse effect. Whenever I've simplified things and just really focused on more the quality rather than trying to do too much, you get better results. And, you know, and that feeds into this whole sleeping thing. Absolutely. And there's a study I always quote when I do talks. And it's great because, you know, I'm normally speaking to that, you know, the alpha personality. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I've got to do this. I can't afford to sleep. I can't afford, you know, doing. And so study after study shows me that you're not, you're less productive and you make more mistakes when you're sleep deprived. And it's a beautiful graph. They allow different groups of people, one group to sleep up to nine hours, another up to seven, another up to five, another up to three. And as the week goes on, they mimic the work week. And as the week goes on, you can see this decrement in performance goes down, 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 down. And you can see this increase in mistake rate go up, 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 up. And so (laughs) it's just fabulous. So you're talking to people who, much like you may have thought when you were a bit younger, oh, look, I haven't got time to sleep. I've got so much to do. I want to achieve so much. So the last thing I can do is sleep eight hours. But in fact, the, the, the reality is the less sleep you get, the less sleep you can afford to get because it takes you longer to do exactly the same thing when you're sleep deprived. Mm. So, and you make more mistakes. And so you have to go back and rework things all the time. And there'll be people listening to this podcast who'll be reminded of someone they work with that by the end of the week, they're ready to just throw them out of the office because they're making so many mistakes, but they're, they're actually doing it really, yeah. really slowly as well. So not only are you, you're doing things really slowly, you make many more mistakes. So that then feeds into the, the terminology of abs, um, presenteeism. You are physically at your work or you're physically at your computer, but you're not really there. Your brain has gone AWOL because the heart, yeah. again, research shows that after about um, 16 hours, 18 hours maintained wakefulness, your cognitive function and your ability to react is equivalent to a blood alcohol level of 0.05%. Wow. Yeah, so your ability to perform has just dive-bombed. But people don't like to know that because it means that they have to stop working. Mm. Yeah, I think we don't like to realise that we, we are human and we do have limitations. I think it's something that everyone's got limitations, so it's... How do we work around those limitations to get the best out of ourselves rather than just grinding ourselves into the ground? Well, I think first off, we have to recognize that um, we have three neurobehavioral states, okay? One is wakefulness. The other two, non-rapid eye movement sleep and also our rapid eye movement sleep. So that's dream sleep and non-rapid eye movement sleep, non-REM. So we have three neurobehavioral states. Each of those neurobehavioral states are important to our ongoing good survival. So wakefulness, we do certain things that allow us to survive. In sleep, we do other things that allow us to survive. So we're meant to as animals. Every animal sleeps and every animal sleeps. So what we have is this wonderful time of eight, about eight hours as adults that allows us to be fabulous for the other 16. And then we have eight hours another fabulous 16 hours so Mm. we have to accept that it's not we're not missing out on anything in fact by giving ourselves the eight hours it's allowing us to be fabulous for the next 16 hours and we can't can't do that if we're only having four hours and we can't be fabulous for 20 hours most of us cannot unfortunately what's happening now is there's a lot of intensity around building wakefulness drugs so we've gone back to the drug thing so we've got all these Mm. wakefulness drugs people who think oh i I don't want to sleep so i'm just going to pop one of these pills and they are out there i'm not going to talk about them and we don't know what the long-term effects of those wakefulness drugs are on people's long-term mental health and long-term physical health 
So be very cautious. People are doing it. Yeah, but yeah. it can be, a, we don't know. We don't know. And we are often are, yeah. have been caught up in the situation 10 years later and we say to ourselves, but we didn't know then. And now we didn't know, but yeah. always be cautious. Yeah. Well, and I think anything where, you know, you're going to build a reliance on something artificial long-term, it's probably not going to be a great thing. And there definitely are scenarios where people need certain medications to deal with a specific thing. But I think using it, like you're saying, just in that um, without really knowing what they're getting themselves into, that's not a well-advised thing to do. Yeah, look, lots of people are recognising sleep issues. Melatonin is becoming really popular to have mm. as a drug, mm. but we don't know the long-term effects of that either. It's a master hormone. Yeah. We've never, ever in our history ever taken a master hormone <laughs> by yeah. pill and we don't know the long-term effects. We think it's safe, but we don't know. But people don't recognise that they can give it to themselves every single day just by exposing themselves to dim light and darkness. Now, there's a yeah. few cases in which uh, melatonin is really um, good. It can work, obviously, with um, sight-impaired people, and especially we use that in children. They need to be able to, because they don't aren't able to produce it very well themselves. Um, jet lag. It's good. It works for a lot of people in jet lag and for shift workers who go from night to morning, you know, shifts and they have to rearrange their sleep. But other than yeah. that, other than that, you know, I just urge caution. But I have come across a lot of people using melatonin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. And what about oversleeping? Can that be a problem as well if we get too much of it? Look, by and large, your body doesn't give you more sleep than it needs. Again, the body is very harmonious. Okay. However, there are situations where people will come and see me and they're sleeping a really a, a long amount of time and they still feel quite shattered, okay? So they might be sleeping 9, 10 hours and they still feel horrible. Um, in that circumstance, there's a couple of things that can be wrong. Normally, it's a pathology with their sleep. So they might be having something like sleep apnea, the snoring disorder, they might have something called restless legs. And in fact, what's happening, they're not really getting great sleep. They're being woken up hundreds of times at night. They don't remember it the next morning. So they're not getting that good cemented, uh, consolidated sleep. And they actually need to um, have a sleep study to diagnose the sleep disorder. People could have narcolepsy as well, which is a sleeping disorder. All of these things can be treated, but they have to be diagnosed in the first place. And other times it can be an indication of poor mental health. So we know people with depression will often sleep very long time. Again, this needs to be diagnosed and treated. And so if anyone listening to this is saying to themselves, well, I, I sleep, you know, 10 hours a day and I still don't feel, you know, fabulous in the, the remaining hours, then you need to talk to your healthcare provider and they may well facilitate a sleep study to find out exactly what's going on. Because if you are getting nine hours sleep a night and you, you're still not going well with your sleep um, or feeling tired during the day, you speak to somebody. Yeah. yeah, and I know that can be common where people are sleeping, you know, 10 hours a night, but feeling exhausted and a lot of the time in mental health, if you're suffering from acute anxiety or stress, that could be part of the problem. So it's really going and seeing a professional about this and trying to get to the bottom of the problem, not trying to self-diagnose or ask, you know, friends for advice on it. Go and, you know, try and get the professional help in, in those cases. I think it's really important. It um, is. And just recognizing that yeah. your body will give you, so eight hours is a medium point, but seven, seven to nine, but there's nothing wrong with getting nine, nine and a half, ten. The big test mm -hmm. is how do I feel? If I feel great when I wake up and I'm so excited about life, that's good. But if I wake up feeling dreadful still <laughs> and finding it really tough to get during the, through the day, that's a big red flag to me that you need to talk to a healthcare provider about your sleep. And for someone that is suffering from stress and anxiety but wanting to get good sleep, I guess part of it as well is trying to do things like meditation, mindfulness techniques the usual sort of stuff yeah look there's some great things around these days to help what happens oftentimes so when we're getting poor sleep and we're you know really stressed and anxious it becomes self-fulfilling right so there's mm -hmm. a conditioning to the fact that you know people start to associate bed with wakefulness. So as soon as they get into bed, they're yeah. wide awake. You know, they report to me, oh, I can fall asleep on the couch, but as soon as I go into bed, I'm wide awake and can't get to sleep. 
And so we have to start changing that mindset as well. So there's a few things you can do. There's what we call uh, cognitive behavioural therapy for insomnia, which is a particular process that we do. Guided meditations in the evening are really, really mm. good. Um, I particularly recommend some um, guided yoga nidra. Uh, they seem to work quite well. But using that hour before bedtime to relax and get yourself in that mind frame cannot be underrated. It really is important. Yeah. But exercise during the day as well. But um, if there is a, a problem, it's often you have to one thing at a time. You know, what can, you know, problems yeah. often don't come neatly packaged, do they? <laughs> There's this big thing that you have to unpack bit by bit. And in the case mm -hmm. of people with a lot of anxiety or stress, that's being exacerbated at the moment. Sometimes we just take mm. one bit and then one bit and then one bit and we get there. But it's not treating your sleep yeah. is often not like just taking a pill. It, it can take, you know, a little bit of time. Not forever. It, it can, can be, take a little bit of time. It can be complicated. That's yeah, right. There's lots of, lots of components. And I, I love that advice that you've given as well about if we're overwhelmed, there's often a multitude of things that are bothering us. So... The natural reaction is how do I try and deal with all these things at once and we get more overwhelmed because we realize we can't and there's too many things. So step back, pick one, try and deal with that. Once you've got on top of that, then deal with the next thing. And if you do that before you know it, you actually have dealt with you know a huge chunk of what's bothering you. But we often get stuck in, again, these cycles that we just can't get out of. So I do recommend to people to take baseline information as well about what's going on in their life right now. How do they feel? How are they behaving? Things like that. So that the little wins are noticed. And if we notice the little wins, we become more encouraged, more motivated because we can say, oh, you know, we've got this 10% improvement. It's not 100% improvement, but we've got a 10% improvement, which is better than yeah. nothing. And then in, yeah. in another couple of days time, we might have a 20% improvement. Because as humans, we're really quick to forget the little win, because we want this big win, you know, we want to be up here. So let's forget about this piddly stuff down here. But the piddly stuff mm -hmm. is really important in treating things bit by bit by bit. That's fundamental. And I think this next question will definitely scare uh, people into wanting to do more about their sleep. If we, if we have chronic lack of sleep, can that lead to a shorter lifespan? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> sleep... Sleep is so important um, and we're much more likely to develop cardiovascular disease. We're much more likely to develop metabolic disease like type 2 diabetes. Um, we're much more likely to develop, as I said, depression. And as we age, we're much more likely to develop uh, dementia or cognitive decline. So we've got enormous impetus, really, to tell yeah. us, to teach us. In the same way as we eat, if we eat poorly all our lives or we don't exercise, we know it affects our health when we turn 50, 60, 70, don't we? We know that. But people yeah. don't know that about sleep. And so there's three pillars of health. There's exercise, nutrition, and sleep. And without any one of those, it's like a three-legged table, we'll topple over. There is an impact. Yeah. And so... It's, it's interesting depending on the audience I speak to, but sometimes when I'm speaking to an older age group and I'll say, well, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, you're, you're twice the risk of developing um, dementia and three times the risk of developing cognitive decline. You see this intake, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I better start sleeping right now. But the thing with sleeping right now, it's no, no good then. Like, so if you're, you know, 55, 60 mm. and you decide, oh, now I'm going to get the sleep I need, what causes dementia, a particular type of dementia, Alzheimer's, which people are aware of, is a, there's this formation of um, plaque, this sticky substance in the brain that forms plaque. And it's when we sleep that we, get, we rid our brain of this sticky substance, amyloid beta peptides. And so we can only we do that when we sleep. Okay, So these sticky lumps start to form in our brain up to 20 years prior to the over presentation of dementia so we need to start sleeping right at your age not when we get to 45 or 50 because we've done a lot of brain damage by then if we're not getting the right amount of sleep so it's really important to keep that in mind that sleep is so critical to our survival i think that's mm. yeah such a important point and um you know relates to so many things in life i think when it comes to our health that 
we're often good at being reactive and when there's a problem then doing the right things which often it's too late you know we and this is why education is why what you're doing is so important and why there needs to be more education about this that it's not about being reactive it's about educating ourselves in how can we do the right things every day not just so we don't prevent these long-term negative health things happening to us but so we can actually just get better quality of life day to day you know but we we often do wait until the problem is such so bad that we have no choice but to take action we don't want to do that it's such a huge cost isn't it then at that point in time because if that's the point that you take action it's in a pretty bad state Right? That's when we think oh, we're in a really bad state and it takes us a long time to regain where we need to be. But if we exactly. go back six months earlier or 12 months earlier, if only we'd started doing the right thing then, we would never have to get into this point where we're unravelling you know, a disastrous situation exactly. and a, a complete burnout. And it was interesting, in 2018, I think, the UK uh, General Practitioners Group did a study and they found that burnout was highly associated with sleeping less than seven hours, absent everything else. So if you're, you're more likely to develop burnout wow. if you're getting regularly less than seven hours sleep. So, yeah, it's really important to keep that in That's mind. That's a good one. Yeah. And so for those of you... Good one to know. Yeah, yeah but for people who are... And, you know, I'm busy too. We're all busy, I guess. But one of the things you can do, if you're not able to get your seven hours sleep every single night, you should get it as much as possible. But every third night, make sure you get at least eight hours sleep. So reset that clock every third night. Don't let it go on forever and ever, like for 10, 20, 30 days, getting six hours sleep, because it's going to be a disaster. So every third day, try to reset that system and give yourself, your body, exactly what it needs. And are there, I mean, there's so many apps out there now and a lot of sleep apps. Are there any that you would recommend that are good? Like I know for me, you know, something where I could purely, just something simple where I could just be logging and trying to discipline myself habitually to, you know, go to bed and get up at the right times. Are there there some that you can recommend to people listening to this? Look, I don't really recommend apps because I think they're so particular and personal what people enjoy. I think some guided meditations can be really helpful as well. Yep. Um, I would warn against people listening. You need, if you're listening to something at night to get you to sleep, make sure it switches off. So you don't want to keep listening to noise or music. So, so lots of people, there's some apps out there. The things I don't recommend are apps that just give you this music all night. I don't. It's not good. Mm. Brain wants to feel safe, so um, you don't want to have that noise going on all night. But, yeah, apart from that, I just would recommend people to investigate what might work for them and work like that. But there are, are there's uh, a lot of aids out there, Nick. You're quite right, yeah. It can be almost overwhelming sometimes. There's too many Which is why I don't recommend anything because I'm not up to speed all the time. Something Somebody will show me something. I think, oh, that's great. And it work, what is important is does it work for you? Well, what what they can do is just listen to this episode and um, you've given so much good advice in here. I'm, go- I'm going to be listening to it over and over again and trying to put all this stuff into practice myself. Um, yeah, and in closing, um, are there is a bit of a summary of just some, you know, basics, daily tips to follow? Do you, would, what would you say, you know, as a bit of a summary? Well, basically, my, my summary is, summary in all of this is sleep is a priority. Like just accept that I need to sleep and if I give myself the gift of sleep, I'm going to be the best version of me. And I think that's such an important message. I don't need to say anything more. I like that. I think, yeah. Yeah, it's powerful and it's simple and just reminding yourself of that statement. Mm. It, It cuts through all the other noise about why we shouldn't and what can get in the way. Let's bring it back. And I think I, I really like that as well because in this day and age, we need to simplify everything because there's just too much noise out there. There's too many things and it's what's contributing to all of these issues with our health and mental health and lack of sleep and everything else. Mm. If I want to, if people want to learn more about you uh, and we'll put in the show notes, we'll have links to for them to go to your website and, and wherever else. Where where should we send them? Where can they go if they want to find more about what you do? Oh, just my, excuse me, my website will redirect them to whatever they want. And there's some information on my website. And um, 
my books are on there as well if they want to get any books. Hmm. That's great, great. Yep, all right, perfect. Well, we'll have links to all of that. Uh, we finish every episode up with these five closing questions. So, and these can be one one line sort of whatever comes to mind. So the first one is, uh, what's your best childhood memory? Well, I grew up in a large, I don't know if I told you this last time, but I grew up in a very large family and um, you thought I was one of the younger ones. And I guess I laugh about this and we laugh about it as siblings uh, because it would never happen in this day and age. So I remember on school holidays and it would come you know, in the morning and my mother would say to us all, don't think you're going to hang around here all day. Off you go. I don't want to see you until lunchtime. And off we'd go. <laughs> and I can't imagine anything happening like that these days. And so all of us would just go wandering around the neighbourhood doing all these little adventures with, you know, whatever sibling we were with. So I think that's hilarious when I put it into the context of today. So it's a lovely memory that we have. Absolutely. Yeah, and it probably wouldn't happen today. And, that, you know, that's where creativity comes from that's when you're a kid you explore you grow I mean we need more of that it's it's a shame that we don't have more of that now no there's um, so much pe- I mean and you know parenting is like that it's a highly anxious thing that we do these days but I guess you know have been one of seven mum probably couldn't look after all of us <laughs> physically couldn't do it you know you can't give up with that go many away. leave me alone for the day I can't cope that's right <laughs> exactly so what, what do you think currently is the biggest burden on mental health uh, in society? Well, I, I, look, I think it's just all this negativity. I mean, I find I'm, I'm really aware of, you know, things. But, you know, you turn around this coronavirus and there's the political situation of the refugees in the world. There's climate yeah. change. There's all this stuff going on. There are big, big questions and nobody knows how. Everyone wants to help. And nobody knows how to. And I think it's causing a lot of people so much stress. And not surprisingly, because that's what we get in our paper and news every single day. Well, that's what we're exposed to. And I think that feeling of helplessness in face of all these big issues, hmm, I think. Yep. Uh, it's, it's never ending. In 10 years' time, do you see mental health in society uh, improving, declining, staying the same, where, or maybe a bit of both? Where do you see that leading? Well, I think there's going to be... A two, two, unfortunately, I, I can see the world moving into two tiers. There are other people that will be of your ilk that think the world needs to slow down. I need to do this because that's what living is about. You know, living is mm-hmm. about experiencing things and being there and being present. And then there's going to be another group of people that are constantly on this, you know, this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I just Mm. think it's going to turn out like that. And so there's going to be some good, good outcomes. And there's probably going to be some more negative outcomes as well. So I think we're becoming more aware as a community of the importance of harmony in our lives. And I think, overall, I think we'll probably improve. Yeah. I completely agree with that, though. I think there, there's, there, there is such a bigger movement of people becoming educated about mm. these different things, and that will happen. But at the same time, I think people are going to get even more caught up in all the chaos of everything as well. So it's going to be this very divided sort of mm. thing that happens, I think. I think so. But yeah. I think people are recognising more and more because we lost a lot of harmony. I think people are going to be moving back to harmony. Yeah. That would be great. Fingers crossed. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what would you say is your personal definition of happiness? Oh, people. I love, you know, I think the thing that gives most happiness is giving. Um, not giving like sort of money or anything, but giving of oneself. Mm. I think that makes you feel good. It's a very selfish thing to do in lots of ways because it makes you feel good. <laughs> it makes you happy. But that's the thing that sustains me, doing something that's, positive for my environment yeah doing something that helps my yeah. environment basically i i couldn't agree more and i i say that often um i can get caught up in my head and all these different things and or ambitions but then just going and i've done mental health talks and all those whenever i do that i walk off and just feel i've never felt better and you just feel 
gets you out of your head, you get perspective, you feel good for helping people. And that's what I say to people a lot of the time. Well, I'm probably doing it just as much to help people as for my own selfish reasons that I want to feel good. But you know what? Why don't we all take that stance? Because (laughs) if that's what it takes to make us go and do things that's going to help each other, then so be it. It's a good enough reason. Yeah, it's absolutely (laughs) the most sustaining thing I think I can do is to do something positive around me. Um, And it's not getting stuff in but you know it the way i mean i believe in karma too you give out you get back you know that's just what happens if we're lucky for sure happens like that Mm. i think it eventually does though yeah um so the final one here what would you say is the most courageous thing you've ever done oh there's i think i look back i'm sure there's lots yeah i think when you you look back on your life you think oh wow i didn't realize i was being so courageous but i think one of the things um, that people were really stunned by was when I um, left a, a legal career to go and be a student again and, and study sleep. Everyone thought I was a bit crackers, really. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> and it was courageous because I went, I was a, a single mum, didn't have much money, and I went from a relatively well-paying career to nothing, really. <laughs> So it, it took a lot of courage, but look, wow, I think, it's yeah. paid back in spades. So, hmm. And I think it's a really nice way to end it, and it's a good message for anyone listening to this as well. And, uh, you know, I think that's amazing that you went and were able to do that because I know when you are, especially in a career like law where it's, you know, a lot of people aspire to get into that and you would would have had so many people telling you, what are you doing? You're crazy. You're going to undo all these years of study and work and et cetera, et cetera, family see that as you know and to be able to have that in follow your gut and listen to your intuition and do what you want to do is a lot of people don't go and make the step that you made uh so i think well i hope people hearing that can you know try and take that on board to think okay what what's my gut telling me and maybe i could follow that and i don't have to listen to what people around me are telling me i have the right to make my own decision and there's no right or wrong it's about what's going to make me feel good and be best for me long term yeah, look, Nick, I love the fact that you said follow your gut. I think the gut-brain is really important and we're recognising the connection between the gut and the brain more and more, aren't we? Um, just we with are. the gut biome, the flora, and how one informs the other. And I think I think we do need to uh, listen more to our gut-brain. And um, often, because our rational brain up here goes, no, no, be careful, be careful. But your gut brain is telling you something really strong. And it does take a lot of courage and uh, I'm sure you've, you know, sort of jumped off the cliff, you know, and wow, you don't know where you're going to end up, but what an exciting trip. <laughs> exactly. It's definitely more exciting. Um, yeah, and you, right. we never know where we're going to end up. So no, you may as well, that's right. yeah. may as well do it. Yeah. Following something you love doing. Mm. So thank you so much for coming and chatting to me again. Um, I really appreciate, I know you're busy and, uh, it means a lot that you've made the time to come and have this chat. I know this is going to help so many people. It's helped me massively just hearing all of this. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for coming and having the chat today. Well, it's been a pleasure, Nick, and thank you for being so interested in, in something I'm passionate about. So that's great. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Buzard. would like to thank John Holland for proudly sponsoring this episode. Thanks to Carmel Harrington for joining me today for Move Your Mind. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Move Your Mind. We're going to be releasing new episodes every week and we would love it if you could subscribe on your favourite platform, leave a comment, leave a star rating, recommend us to a friend and help support us on this journey. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.